0: Money, money, money Must be funny In a rich man's world (laughs) Yeah, money's such an important thing in our lives, right? Um, I'm guessing a lot of yous have a bank account You guys have all been to a bank before Use credit cards, debit cards, all that stuff But Are you all curious as to how banking was done in ancient China? Well, I was curious too So I decided to find out And now, I'm going to talk about it in today's episode. G'day everyone, my name's Stephen and welcome to another episode of the Bamboo History Podcast. This podcast focuses on Chinese and East Asian history. If you haven't noticed, in the last few episodes, I'm trying to take a more casual approach to these episodes rather than a scripted approach, so if you like this method of delivery or if you like it to be more scripted, please let me know as well. Anyway, let's just get straight into it. In ancient China, for a long time, banks weren't actually used. Why? Because there simply wasn't enough money and cash going around that people needed banks. For instance, if the Chinese ever engaged in trade or commerce, a combination of goods and money would be used. So because it wasn't a fully monetized economy, banks weren't necessary for a long time in Chinese history. For instance, during the Han Dynasty, which was between the 2nd century BCE to the 2nd century CE, the way government ministers were paid was that they were paid partially in grain and then partially in money. So wealth was measured with the amount of land, food, and money, not just money. So banking institutions weren't necessary back then but Chinese people back in the day had already developed different methods of storing money. Methods such as building safes with locks, digging a hole in the ground in their backyard and just hiding their money there, or something called a poor man, which is literally like a piggy bank. So they put the money in in the little bank, and the only way they could access it is if they broke the entire thing. I'm guessing in other ancient civilizations back in those days, they probably would have used similar methods of storing money like those ones I've just mentioned as well. But over time, trade and commerce grew and grew and grew, and larger and larger business deals were being made. This meant there were greater exchanges of goods, and clearly money would become more and more important. I mean, if you think about it, if you're trading huge amounts of goods, it'd just be a pain in the ass to lug that all around just to do your deals when it'd be a lot easier just to carry, you know, a little bag of coins, for instance. A really interesting thing I discovered was that during the Northern and Southern Dynasties period in China, between the 5th and 6th centuries CE, some, (laughs) this is interesting, temples were actually one of the first institutions that would take money from other people to be stored. This is also known as Yuen Jingrong or Buddhist temple economy, and it was heavily influenced from India where Buddhism came from. How it worked was that Buddhist temples weren't just spiritual and religious institutions, they were also economic institutions. Rich people would deposit their money in these temples, and in exchange, they'd receive a receipt of the amount of money they had put into the temple so they can redeem it later on. This is quite fascinating, I actually never knew that temples were probably one of the first banks that were being used in history. But in terms of let's say actual banking institutions, the first one that comes to mind is the Guifang, G-U-I-F-A-N-G that was developed during the Tang Dynasty. The Tang Dynasty which was from the 7th to the 10th centuries. So you all must be wondering, what is a Guifang? Well, a guifang was a type of house that was situated in major cities, normally around markets or areas where a lot of business was being done. Instead of just carrying around your goods all the time and trading with other people, which could become a hassle if you had a lot of things, you could deposit your money or your assets or your goods into the guifang. and then in exchange, you'd receive like a receipt of some sort with the amount of things that you had deposited. Then if you needed to access it later on, you could go to the fang to retrieve your items or your money. It's I mean it's sort of like a bank but it sort of isn't at the same time because you're not being charged interest that you're putting into the fang. Rather, you just you just need to pay a fee to store your things there. It's more kind of like a storage unit. But conversely, it did have some basic functions like a bank. You could deposit your money there. You could borrow money by putting something valuable of yours as security, and you could also transfer money and goods to other parties through the Guifeng. But over time, however, this would be a hassle if it was involving business done in other places like other cities. Guifeng were only situated in marketplaces in one city. So to solve this, around the 800s, the Tang dynasty developed something called a flying cash or 费钱 in Chinese. How the chen worked was you deposited X amount of things into the fang, then you'd be given a piece of paper like a note telling you the amount of things you had. You can then go to somewhere else in another city to collect the item equal to the value of whatever was stated on that note that you received. So that was convenient because you didn't have to travel long distances carrying mountains of cash or mountains of goods. You simply just had to rock up with a note, a little piece of paper, to redeem whatever you wanted. And no, flying cash Fei-Chen couldn't actually fly, although although I wish it did. Imagine flying cash, like wee, little bird. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway. After the Tang Dynasty came the Song Dynasty, and during the Song Dynasty, some something important was invented. The first ever banknote in history was invented during the Song Dynasty. This banknote was known as jiaozi and it was invented because prior to that people were using metal coins which were really heavy. So they thought instead of using metal coins, why don't we just use paper as money instead? Yeah, this was pretty cool because on the banknote it would tell you the places where it was legible and it could also tell you how much it was worth. The jiaozi wasn't purely a banknote that we see nowadays. It was kind of like a promissory note. You could exchange the note for a certain amount of coins and you'd use the coins obviously to do your business or make your purchases. So this became an issue after a while because these paper notes were so easy to issue and to print out. I mean it's literally just a piece of paper. So you could just get a piece of paper and print out as many as you want. You know, it's just paper, as opposed to bronze coins or gold and silver ingots. To make it worse, the government actually didn't regulate this printing as well, and anyone could print out this sort of money, which meant a lot of individual people like merchants were printing out their own money without the government's even knowing. To make it worse, the government were also not backing up this money with enough coins, which meant printing out all this paper money and not having the backing of Coins, or actual items of value, meant that it created lots of inflation, and eventually they stopped using it by the 13th century. In the eras that followed, in the Yuan and the Ming dynasties, the same problem emerged, where they tried to issue banknotes, but because they weren't regulating the printing, inflation happened and they had to stop using it. One example being the Da Ming 大明保抄 during the Ming dynasty. But during the Ming dynasty, something else popped up, and this is probably the predecessor to our modern banks. This was known as the qianzhuang, spelt q-i-a-n-z-h-u-a-n-g. The qianzhuang had three main purposes. The first purpose was to exchange money. Because back in the day, during the Ming dynasty, different types of money were being used, gold ingots silver ingots, paper currency, and bronze coins. Each of these types of money didn't have a set value on them. So for example, if I wanted to trade with someone, and and you know, I had a 100 bronze coins, I wanted to trade someone in another city, but his item was worth 2 gold ingots. How was I going to make this trade? How many bronze coins equaled an ingot? These problems made trading and doing business hard during the Ming Dynasty. So one of the first functions of the Chendrong was to do currency exchange, whereby they would set the value of how much bronze coins would equal an ingot, and so on and so forth. So what I could do is, I could go to a Chendrong with my bronze coins, trade the coins for an ingot or ingots, and then go do my business with the person who only who only accepted ingots. The second and third purposes of the Chendrong was that you can deposit your money there with a fee and low interest, or you can get a loan from the Drong as well, with a higher interest, obviously. The Drong were not government institutions however, they were more like private institutions, and they were really small scale, as in, they were small private banks in local areas and they didn't have any other branches in other cities or towns. So a problem with Drong was, you couldn't take money or a banknote from your local Chendrong and go to a Chendrong of another city because they weren't the same, and hence you couldn't redeem any coins or other currency if you wanted to go to other cities. In other words, there was no compatibility. This would be a problem if you wanted to go to another city or another town to conduct business with a banknote from your own Chendrong. So the lack of compatibility of banknotes would become a problem. And it was during the Qing Dynasty that another institution emerged alongside Qianlong, and that was a Piao Hall. Piao Hall, spelt P I A O H A O. Piao Hall emerged during the Qing Dynasty, which was China's last imperial dynasty that went from the seventeenth to the early twentieth century. In the year eighteen twenty-three, in a city called Pingyao in Shanxi. Pingyao spelt P-I-N-G-Y-A-O, an institution, a bank, a piyohao called the Rishengchang emerged, spelt R-I-S-H-E-N-G-C-H-A-N-G. The piyohao Rishengchang was created because merchants constantly needed to carry large amounts of silver to other places to do business. The problem notwithstanding the fact that it was heavy and it was such a hassle to lug everything around, was the fact that they'd often fall victim to highway robbers or highway bandits along the way, and it'd end up with, you know, cash and goods gone, people dead. And it also wasted a lot of resources to hire security guards to protect them. So instead, why not open a piyohau, a bank, where instead of carrying all those amounts of money, you carry little pieces of paper, like bank drafts, I have to note at this stage that you're probably wondering, then what about the Guifang I talked about earlier? Wasn't that similar? The difference here is that Qianzhuang and Piaohao are more like modern banks because they charge interest for any loans or for any money that you deposit into their institution. So how the Piaohao worked was that the customer would come into the Piaohao and deposit their cash there. Then the customer would receive a bank draft which was a piece of paper with the amount of money on it that they had deposited. The customer could then go to another Piaohou in another city and be able to get the same amount of money stated on that draft. So it was kind of like a bank check, in a way. And it was so successful, Piaohou was a hit. By the end of the 19th century, there were almost 500 branches across all of China. What's interesting to note was that during my research I found out that Piao Hao, in the hundred of years or so of operation, there was never an instance of people using fake bank drafts to issue money at the Piao Hall. never, not once. This was because measures were made to ensure that real banknotes could be differentiated from fake ones. For instance, a special type of paper would be used for these Piao Hao bank drafts. Secondly. Only the bank manager of each branch was able to write on the bank draft or the bank note, so if you got one and you realised the handwriting was a bit off, then you'd know it was a fake. And thirdly, each branch had a code book, which had special characters on it, which would be written in tiny size on the banknote. So if you saw a banknote that didn't have these special characters, you knew it was a fake. I think it's pretty cool how they used all these rudimentary but very clever security measures to ensure that money wasn't taken out fraudulently. By the 20th century however, the Chinese Piao gradually disappeared and were replaced by the modern banks that we see today. The Piao and Qian had existed side by side. The Qian existed on a smaller scale, whilst the Piao existed on a larger scale. But yeah, they all disappeared when the Europeans came with their modern banking institutions in the 20th century. And I think the main reason why the Piao Hall couldn't compete and disappeared was because that during the late 19th century, the Qing dynasty was in turmoil. It had fought a lot of battles against European countries and lost. And when they lost, they were forced to pay ridiculous sums of money to the Europeans. And in order to pay these sums, they borrowed a lot of money from the Piao Hull who would give them loans, but then the problem arose when they couldn't repay the money back to the Piao hall And many of these loans were never paid, especially after the Qing dynasty collapsed in the year 1912. Hence, the Piao hall didn't have any money to sustain their business, and as a result, they went bust. So yeah, that's it. With the arrival of modern banks, comes the end of an episode of banking in ancient China. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I think a key takeaway here is that money, money, money must be funny in a rich man's world. (laughs) Uh, I thought this was a fun episode because it really showed you how important money is is in China throughout the ages. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Before you go, I encourage all of you to subscribe to my podcast, follow my Instagram, and just to contact me either by DM or email if you have topic suggestions, feedback, or just general comments. I'll put my details in the description box below. Lastly, if you wanna support my channel, if you wanna support my podcast further, I encourage all of you to make a monetary donation to me by depositing money into my qian Drong and piao hao. I'll put my dis... Actually, that, <laughs> that was such a bad joke. <laughs> I'm not accepting donations at the moment, but maybe in the future I will. (laughs) Okay, that is a cue for me to go. Thanks everyone for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day or evening, and I'll see you all next time on the Bamboo History Podcast. Bye for now. Cha-ching!